Have you ever said the words, I don't believe it? For instance, if you were going to talk about winning the publisher's clearinghouse, I'm sure the first words that would come out of your mouth is, I don't believe it. Or maybe if we saw in news headlines that they were going to build a Disney world in North Korea, I'm sure our reaction would be, I don't believe it. Maybe it would be if somebody hypothetically unfriended me on Facebook. I might say, I don't believe it. Or $5,000 of the last operation isn't covered by the insurance. I don't believe it. You know, we say that a lot in different ways and in different questions and things that come up. And the disciples were saying it that morning that they were locked in that room for fear of the Jews. I don't believe it. The three years that we spent with Jesus, all those things in the past, they're over. I don't believe it. That our calling, when Jesus came and told us to be fishers of men, but now it's over and he's dead. I just don't believe it. And that last week we spent with Jesus, that triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday that seemed like we were on such a high And now it's over. I just don't believe it. You know, John records that. That's where they were. That's the attitude that they had. Hear those words again. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, they were in grief. They were in fear. And those are powerful forces. They were in doubt. They were afraid. Their world had been turned upside down by the events that had taken place on that Good Friday at the cross. You know, they say there are five stages of grief that people go through, and they go through at their own pace in different ways and in different times depending on who they are. The stages are this. First is dismay and denial and isolation. Second is anger. Third is bargaining. A lot of times we say, if only we had done this, or maybe if I had gotten there sooner. Then is depression, and then finally, acceptance. And I say that because looking at the disciples in that room, looking at what John paints for us in his narrative, we see them in that first stage. That stage where they are in denial, where they are saying those words, I can't believe it, where they're isolated, they're locked up. We know that they don't move as we look at that narrative into the other stages that take place in grief because something happens to them in that room, something powerful that changes that grief into joy. Move them from stage one to be people proclaiming Jesus was alive. Yeah, that's the effect that the risen Lord and Savior had on their grief, to see him once again, to be overjoyed at his presence, to see his hands and his side. But what about Thomas? You know, I think what we see in Thomas is just that he is not only in the first stage, but he's moving through the different stages because he's had more time. After all, it's another week for Thomas when he's told he doesn't get to see Jesus. 
And so his response is this, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. See, it's not only dismay. Don't you hear maybe a little anger in there? He's upset. He's kind of in their face about the fact that they're telling him that Jesus is alive, and he's bargaining. So he's already in some of those other stages of grief. Unless I see this, I will not believe. You see, Thomas isn't being stubborn. Thomas is just deep in the grief process. He loved Jesus. He saw what had happened to Jesus. He saw his Lord crucified by the Romans and die. He didn't want to get his hopes up. He didn't want to be hurt again. He didn't want to have hope in a moment that he thought was hopeless. You know, a lot of times that happens to us in life. There are things that transpire and things that happen to us that color and affect us and things that we believe or don't believe. Things that we even doubt because of all the different things that have happened to us. Maybe it's not grief necessarily, but oh, there are things that we say that prove that we doubt. We use that word if in situations. Because we're unsure, just like the disciples were unsure that morning. We might say the words, if you loved me, you'd do this. If you cared about me, you'd do this. If I was important to you, you'd do that. You see, we're unsure. And unsureness leads to doubt. And we doubt people and we doubt relationships. It's okay, though. To doubt. I think that's something we need to look at and understand this morning as we look at Thomas, as we look at those disciples. It was okay to doubt. It was okay to say, I can't believe it, to be in that moment. After all, that's what their eyes had seen, Jesus crucified. That's what they had experienced. They hadn't yet experienced the risen Lord and Savior. They hadn't seen him in front of them. All they were left with was the grief of that Good Friday. Doubting comes. It comes to them. It comes to us. And you know, it's okay, like I said, to doubt. In fact, Luther wrote this one time when he was in doubt. He said this, For more than a week, Christ was totally lost to me. I was shaken by desperation and by my rallying against God. You see, Luther had doubts. We look at the Gospels and we see the father of that demon-possessed boy who said to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Alfred Lloyd Tennyson wrote the following, There lives more faith in honest doubt than in half the creeds. Doubting is okay. It's not something to be ashamed of. Thomas and the disciples doubted. But here's the point. It's what you do with the doubt. Does it paralyze you? Does it immobilize you? Does it stop you from living? Do you stay in that moment never to come out of it again? Or does the living Jesus Christ meet you just as he met his disciples and Thomas 
to transform that doubt. Hear that narrative again from John. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told them, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, the disciples needed that Jesus, that risen Christ, to be in front of them to counteract what had happened and what they had already seen with their eyes. To have seen Christ crucified, they needed to see Christ risen. In order not to be paralyzed and frozen in their grief and in their doubt, but in order to move forward, to be able to proclaim to the world that Christ was risen. But Jesus says more than just his disciples and just to Thomas there about seeing him and touching him. He says those words, that challenge of faith, blessed are those who believe and who have not seen. And that's us. And what about us? Really what Jesus is saying to us is blessed are those who won't get what they asked for. Have you ever asked to see the risen Christ in your prayers, maybe in your mind, in your doubt, in your fears, when things have fallen apart? And you say, I only just need to see that and I can go on. Blessed are those who believe when they don't get what they wanted, when they don't get the healing, when maybe they've had to say goodbye to a loved one at a graveyard where their marriage never was healed, all those things they had hoped for that didn't happen. Those are the things that can cause us to doubt. And we're tempted to say then, well, isn't it just great for the disciples? Isn't it just great for Thomas? But what about me? I've said that. What about me? I'd like to see Jesus face to face, to touch those nail marks in his hands, to see his side. But Jesus still comes to meet us, doesn't he? Maybe not in the way that we desire, maybe not in what we think we demand, but he meets our doubts still with the fact that he is alive and he is risen. You know, as we talk about this Easter narrative, as we look at the risen Jesus Christ, as we remember the incidents and the things that he does, I love that John says to us there were many more signs and miracles that Jesus did in the presence of his disciples that are not recorded. So many things that prove to them that Jesus was alive. It wasn't just this one instance. He knew they needed to be strengthened more and more. He needed, they needed to be prepared in order to go out and proclaim that he was truly alive and risen from the dead. So we come here to hear those words also, that Christ is risen from the dead, that our fears can be conquered, that our life is secure. But sometimes it depends on the approach What I mean is kind of two words this morning that I want to examine. The word about and the word from. What do I mean? Do we come here to learn 
about Jesus? Or do we come here to learn from Jesus? You see, there's a big difference in both of those approaches. If we would say we come here to learn about Jesus, then we're saying Jesus is a historical figure. We can look at the Scriptures and see all about Him, all the things that He did, who He was, all the miracles that He performed, all the words that He said. We can spend time in study. We can learn and learn and learn, and we can have all the answers based on the Scriptures. But just knowing about Jesus is not going to impact our lives. It's not going to impact our doubt. And it is not going to move us suddenly from doubt to being overjoyed as it did the disciples. But if we come here to learn from Jesus, then we're already saying something. We're already saying that Jesus is not a person of the past, that Jesus is a person who is alive today and he is present with us, that he's not a memory or just a study, that he is one who confronts us and instructs us and comforts us and changes us now, here, today. You know, a lot of times in instruction classes when we talk about Holy Communion and we talk about that word remembrance, that word isn't a word that is about what took place. It's a word that means here and now, that we celebrate the presence of Jesus with us that we celebrate just as they did Passover again and again, recounting that on this day, whenever it was, even if it was 2,000 years later, on this night, the Lord our God delivered us from the hand of bondage. So we in Holy Communion celebrate in this moment, Jesus is present with us because we can learn from Him. You see, from Him means that His love is now even in our worst doubts. From Him means that there is forgiveness now, even in our worst fears. From Him means that the phrase, my Lord and my God, is not a confession of the past, but a statement of the present that our Lord and our God is here with us. It's recognizing that one who is living, who will help our unbelief, we proclaim a living Christ, and we learn from Him again and again as He meets with us, as He says to us, wherever two or three are gathered, I am there with them. You see, we come to learn from Jesus, who meets our doubts, who meets our needs, who comes to us in our grief, who proclaims to us again and again what he did on the cross and the open grave, what he has given us in his victory. Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, is here with us again and again and in our lives and in every moment. He has made a promise to us, a living Christ, not a historical Christ, but one who has said, I am with you to the close of the ages upon ages. That is what moves us from doubts and fears to proclaiming Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.